You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bill Kinkavich, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is New Mutants, Episode 2A, The Demon Bear Saga, covering a period of the New Mutants in 1984. Uh, I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your co-host, Frank Martini. And today, Frank, which issues are we going to be talking about? So we would be covering uh, New Mutants 13 to 21. Yeah, just kind of a short episode. We're going to cut it at a halfway through this book, which is uh, the New Mutants epic collection, number volume two, called The Demon Bear Saga. And uh, it's been quite a while since we actually recorded a, the New Mutants, the first episode, and uh, I had to, I had to kind of go back and give myself a little refresher on a couple of the points. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm. been a long time. Yeah, I, I, I sort of did the same because th- there was a lot happening in the uh, on the first volume. So because it's the second volume, but the status quo has changed quite a bit compared to what we saw in the in the original graphic novel that uh, introduced the team. So uh, the roster has changed since then. Karma has left the team and. Uh, Mara has joined the team. Uh, Iliana Rasputin, Magic, has joined the team as well. Also, the, the the environment of the book has changed because when the when the book was uh, was launched, the the X Men were out of the picture because they were out of space. Uh, they were prisoners of the of the Brood, so that took place during the the very famous Brood saga in the X Men. Uh, so that means that the new mutants were the new team, but also the only mutants were the, 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 the main mutant teams. And now the X-Men are back. And uh, and the setup is different. So the, the Xavier School environment is different. So it's a, it's a switch compared to what we saw in the in the first volume. I was actually quite surprised, like you mentioned the roster changes. And so the roster changes quite a bit, adding two mm-hmm. characters, removing one. And we're going to add a third one by the end of this volume as well. And I was actually very surprised that Claremont really puts a lot of the focus on Ileana and Amara, like Mm. at the risk of forgetting about other characters. Like I think Sunspot especially gets the short end of the stick through this volume, or at least the first half of this volume, as he doesn't take center stage ever and Cannonball's a close second. Yeah, Yeah. he whines a lot. (laughs) He sure does. (laughs) But at the same time, he has some great character moments that that, that show that he's going to be breaking out of that uh, Mm. soon, hopefully soon. He's growing as a character and uh, Claremont, I think, has a nice trajectory. Um, pun intended for Cannonball Trajectory. I I tried my hardest to get to get an interview with Bill Sienkiewicz to talk about this, but um, he was uh, too busy, unable to to get together. So I'm hoping I'll be able to do that in the future. Uh, But Mm -hmm. we have no comments from him and only a couple from Claremont. So from a previous interview that I did. So we have Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit short on interview clips, but that's okay. We still have some great content to talk about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into that, why don't we talk about uh, some listener comments? Because I asked uh, all of the uh, you listeners out there on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter to let me know what you thought about this book. And not just about the Demon Bear Saga, but about the stories that come before and the stories that come after in this, this kind of era in general. And we got a lot of good comments on Facebook. The first one I want to highlight is Nick. <laughs> Nick says, this was one of the first epics I got after you, meaning me, after I replied to a conversation that he was having with Explain the X-Men podcast. And so it was this or Executioner's Song. He couldn't remember which volume. Either way, it's the first that he read. And then <laughs> he goes on to say that there's the first epic collection that he got. And he's now, you know, 90 plus epics later. Um, it well, well into the into the collecting mentality, and he calls me an enabler. <laughs> so that's <laughs> funny. Thanks, Nick. Uh, he says that uh, regardless, I picked up I picked it up to read the source material for the New Mutants movie, and he says, "Gotta say, they nailed it." And um, I don't know that I agree with that statement. Um, <clears throat> we're not going to talk about the movie a lot in this. I want to keep it primarily comic focused, but I do want to say that. I wasn't that big of a fan of the movie really at all. How about you, Frank? Uh, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I skipped it. You know, the last few uh, Mutants-related movies were not that inspiring for me, so yeah, yeah. I haven't seen them. Well, I thought that one was going to be a nice, refreshing change. It had. It, the, I liked the trailers and such, but I, I didn't think it delivered. Um, there are some aspects that I'll point out uh, in the movie versus the comics uh, throughout our conversation mm-hmm. here today. But um, yeah, especially since you haven't seen it, we will not talk about the movie very much at all. Okay, Patrick says, this is where the new mutants turn from the baby X-Men and into its own thing. And this one thing that makes this change, the arrival of Bill Sienkiewicz as artist. He had started to experiment more and more as his Moon Knight run went on. But when he came into this book, no one was going to call him a Neil Adams clone. He brought a style that was unlike anyone else out there in mainstream comics. Would Demon Bear be considered the classic it is if it were drawn by Bob Cloud or John Buscema? I don't think so. The image of that impossibly sized bear uh, with its crazy jagged edges make that bear nightmare-like and make the threat of it so much bigger than its earlier glimpses we saw of it. So great. Yeah, it's sure that uh, the the impact of the, uh, of the work of Bill Sienkiewicz is, is obvious and uh, I don't think that the, the rendition of the nightmarish aspect would have worked with a, maybe with a different artist, but uh, it yeah. wouldn't have been that great. And I, yeah. I'll save it for later when we mention that, but there is more than just Bill Sienkiewicz's work. Uh, I think the coloring also is extraordinary in oh, yes. those issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are definitely parts to pick out when we get to those stories. I think that, uh, yeah, if you had a more traditional comic artist, he mentions John Buscema or, or, you know, John Romita or somebody like that, who would render the bear more realistically. I think the fact that Bill gets so abstract with his with his style that makes it like, what are we looking at? Is this reality? You know, that kind of stuff. It works perfectly to also convey that more horror aspect of, of the title. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, another comment here. Ryan says, I remember liking the Buscema issues more than Demon Bear proper, which I feel is contrary to the general opinion. In fact, I stopped reading a few issues into the Sienkiewicz run. I think I need to go back and finish this reading so I can listen to the podcast spoiler-free. <laughs> yes, Ryan, you should. <laughs> I think you should too, absolutely. Uh, give another try. There are definitely reasons why I think people kind of stop at the beginning, and it's partly to do with the art, but other there are other elements as well, and we'll get into that when we hit the first issue of Demon Bear. 
Um, okay, James says, I remember hating Sienkiewicz's art when I was reading these as a kid and almost gave up on New Mutants because I found it so hard to read. I appreciate his style now, but first impressions die hard. Okay, I definitely can relate on this comment because I read that uh, in French uh, when I was maybe 12 mm. or 13 and it was impossible for me to read it and to understand what was happening. So I can definitely relate uh, I really disliked uh, the art in the first place, and it took me years to really warm up and to understand what was happening there. So yeah, I can I can understand, but uh, I have forgotten this aspect, uh, and now I'm fully uh, I fully love the art on the on the book. Yeah, I think this is a good comment. Reading it as a kid, I can totally understand this as well, because you first of all you're not as mature of a reader just in general. Bill Sienkiewicz does a lot of stuff, not just with the designs of the characters, but in his panel layouts, the way the way he composes mm. his his panels that are tricky. And I think it takes it does take a little bit more of a seasoned reader to, to understand how mm -hmm. to, how the flow works. Um, it comes naturally for someone who's been reading for a long, long uh, reading comics for a long time. But yeah, as a kid, I can understand that and then couple that with just the abstract nature of the way it looks, especially coming off of the previous issues, which were Sal Buscema. Wow, what a 180 degree difference that is. And also maybe because it, it was the, the, the kitty X-Men book or the baby X-Men book, mm -hmm. uh, some people were thinking that it was a book also targeted to younger readers. Yeah, very true, very true. So yeah. that must have been quite a jarring experience. No kidding. Okay, so another Patrick says, incredible art throughout and Claremont's character work at its best. Uh, I would agree with that. He does some really, really good character arcs in, yep. this, in this book here. It's interesting to me that a title centered around a younger cast, The New Mutants, seemed more mature in its themes, art, art style, and generally darker tone. There, You were just saying that, Frank. At risk of being overshadowed by Demon Bear and Legion, the Buscema issues that open the collection are great. Magic as the unsettling outsider was interesting, playing especially playing off of Rain's innocence, and Sim was wondrously terrifying here. Also, special mention to the Hellions who make great frenemies to the New Mutants. I mm. like that term. That's great. He goes on to say, For all the good, some choices are odd. I'm perplexed at the choice to turn karma into an obese villain. That'll happen. In, we'll talk about that in the next volume. Yeah. And the somewhat problematic changing of Tom and Sharon's race for reasons I don't think are ever explained. Yeah, I'll definitely want to mention that toward the end of this yeah. episode. Mm. And I think one Scott Summers would agree when I say Magneto has no place with Lee Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> we'll comment on that in the next episode as well. Well, that can be discussed because uh, it was a story that grew in uh, Uncanny X-Men and uh, it was the time when Magneto was evolving into a more likable character. So, mm -hmm. well, anyway. Uh, okay, so he says, in terms of the book's physical quality, my only complaint is that the lettering is printed blurry in issues 13 and 14 of my copy. So, Patrick, mm. this is for you. I'd have to say that you have a defective copy because my issue is printed just fine. I have no no issues with blurry printing at all. I don't know if this affects more than one volume. Or it also could be this book has been reprinted, so I don't know if you have a second printing. I have a first printing, and it is just fine. I haven't seen what the second printing looks like. Uh, no problem on my side because I have a digital edition. Ah, there you go. Mm. 
Okay, on Twitter, we have one comment from X-Men Consumer Reviews. It's called, this Twitter account is called. It says, if you read any New Mutants, read this. Sienkiewicz's art is experimental in the best way, and Claremont is in his prime. Very, very true. Uh, thanks mm -hmm. for your comment there. And then one more comment from Elvis Estrada 1. He says, uh, definitely not my favorite. I love Claremont, and I love this era of Marvel, but I found the characters to be whiny and weak to the point where it was difficult to read because they were unlikable and unrelatable. Uh, yeah, that's true. There is a lot of whining in this, and I think that uh, Claremont definitely tries to push that to the extreme to show, you know, that these are young kids still, even though, especially Sam is supposed to be like 18 or something, right? Uh, but he's and he's the whiniest of the bunch it seems but yeah. the, he does want to try and convey their inexperience and their youth and i think maybe he overcompensates for that in the whiny department yeah i think that uh of course there are uh whiny characters but most of the time the mutants are sort of like that too because <laughs> true. uh they are minorities so they suffer a lot from that but also they are teenagers and uh I think that uh, the book ref reflects very well the, the mood changes that teenagers can have. Uh, having two at home, they definitely can relate on that. Yeah, the, the, the mood swings uh, they, they, can, they can have. I think it's very well characterized by Clement there. Yeah. And, you know, th that lends itself to great character changes as they grow. And I think part of the issue also is that we're reading these in a big collection of like 500 pages, right, all together. And so mm. Claremont, when he was originally writing these, he's thinking, okay, so somebody might just stumble upon this at their local 7-Eleven and pick it up. So I need to convey uh, the attitudes of each one of these seven characters mm. in every single issue. So while it's pro it's tolerable in one issue, it maybe isn't as tolerable when you're reading, you know, 15 to 20 issues in a row. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, Elvis continues and says, Danny Moonstar and Magic are awesome characters, so I had high hopes for the New Mutants in general, but I tapped out after the first volume. So I don't think he even got to read this volume here, uh, which I think um, is a change because there's a shift in, yeah. in tone and everything that... Uh, Elvis, if you're listening to this, I think you should reconsider and give this one a shot. Yeah, for sure. I, I myself was saying, as I was reading these, by the time we got to the end of the Buscema issues, as I was feeling like this, these kind of spinning wheels, we need a change, and then you get to the next issue, then all of a sudden, boom, things are totally different, and it's, it's mm. great. So, yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for adding your comments here. If we get any more through the week, I'll, we'll address them in next week's episode. But I think, Frank, it's time for us to move on. Yeah, okay. We start with the New Mutants issue 13 called School Days. Of course, Clement writing Sol Busema art and Tom Mandrake as a finisher, so which means that he's doing a lot more than inking and probably uh, following loose layouts by Sol Busema. So I think that's an important distinction to make. Uh, and this follows on kind of how Bob McLeod was also mm. finishing Sal Busema's pencils after he stopped doing the, the pencils himself. 
Mm. Uh, and we talked about that a lot in the in the first episode where we were talking about how Sal Buscema doesn't even look like Sal Buscema because Bob McLeod put so much of his own style into it that it basically was, it still looked like Bob McLeod. This, these issues don't look like Sal Buscema. Some of the poses do, but... Yeah, exactly. You get the, some of the classic visual elements that Sal Buscema can bring on a book. Yeah. But the overall, the faces especially, they don't look Sal Buscema at all. Yeah, it almost looks like Tom Mandrake is trying his best to even imi- uh, imitate Bob McLeod's style. Some of the faces, especially Cannonball with the big ears and such, look very, very reminiscent of Bob McLeod's mm. work. And uh, and yeah, Salvi Sema is really here just to lay out the story because he's a good storyteller. Um, he can do it quick, and then Tom Mandrake's taking the the bulk of the detail. So the story of this issue is that uh, it's the, the the arrival of Amara at Xavier's school. So she's joining the the, the, the school, and Professor X chooses to understand uh, how her power works, considering that she has very limited control of her powers. Like she did in the issue before, or one or two issues before, uh, because of her lack of control, she, she causes uh, almost a disaster at school. And, and throughout this issue, uh, Professor Xavier is, is dealing with that and trying to establish a connection and, uh, and give Amara some, some confidence. So that's really the main topic, power management, uh, and also how inadequate she may feel in this uh, modern world, because she comes from uh, ancient Roma, uh, a city where that, uh, that was still living uh, as the, uh, the ancient Rome. So she has to really connect with the modern world as well and deal with the, uh, her new powers. Also, there are a couple of subplots that are taking place in the in this issue. First, we are dealing with Kitty uh, Pride being a sort of non-member of the team, but being part of the book, uh, and she's uh, working with a with a teammate of her called Doug, Doug Ramsey that we will see more and more appearing in the, in the forthcoming issues. And also uh, the relationship between Kitty and the New Mutants, uh, which is established uh, right from the cover, uh, that there is a disconnection between the two of them, although they have the same age. But Kitty is an X-Men and she tries to see them as the X-Babies. So there is this uh, also uh, relationship that we will see in the, further on in the, in the upcoming issues that, uh, that are developed for the first time here. It's interesting the the way that Kitty is treated in this book here, and I I think because I just recently reread the first volume of the Generation X Epic Collection, and, and Jubilee is on that brand new team of young mm. mutants, and the attitude there is she's she's treated so differently by the writers, uh, instead of staying on the X Men like Kitty does and just kind of making her appearances, Jubilee actually fully joins the team. And mm. does have a kind of I know better than you attitude, but um, is fully invested in in the team. Where I think Kitty seems to hold it a little bit at arm's reach. Like she cares for yeah. the, she cares for the kids and cares for the team, but um, is still still quite guarded in terms of her place with the X Men. Um, I, I think that um, what is interesting, one of the things I really enjoyed in this issue is the. Uh, as I said previously, it's the the beginning of the relationship between Professor X and Amara because there's a lot of insecurity and and it shows all through the issues. We we get also a nice scene 
with rain, uh, you know, when she's dancing. So th th there are a lot of things really related to acceptance of who we are, what we are, what those people can be as mutants and so on. That's one of the, the, the fragility that I see in, the, in this issue, and I really enjoyed it. It's very great to see, uh, yeah, this is a common theme that's going to take place throughout kind of this entire book mm. as they struggle with figuring out who they are as people and as teammates and as mutants. Very true. Um, I like to see that Xavier is actually teaching in this in this issue here. Like he does a lot mm. of, of showing uh, the students how to be better people and how to use their powers and such. Um, usually that's, you know, we got a lot of that in the early days of the X-Men, you know, back in the 60s, mm. but... You know, once the once the all the X Men became adults, he never did any teaching again, or or I mean, not in the same way as he does in this. So it's nice to see him taking up that yeah. role again. Yeah, and uh, and the old X Men because I read those books not so long ago. Uh, it's basically how he's yelling at them because they don't use their their, their powers the right way. <laughs> right. So that's really what it is. Uh, here it's really about not only powers but uh, you know accompanying those person into a growing process. Um, yeah. I think uh, I've always had mixed feelings about Charles Xavier and uh, about being a sort of shady character sometimes. But here I see him as a really a nice person trying to, to help those kids as best as he can. Um, on page 11 of this collection here, we get a good moment with, um, or Chris Claremont uses the narration to kind of explain the relationship between Rain and Danny. Because uh, mm. Danny can commune with animals, and then Rain turns into an animal, so they share a very special bond, mm. and that comes into play quite a bit throughout this, especially the first half of this book in the Demon Bear Saga. Uh, but one of the as aspects, while I didn't like the New Mutants movie, one of the aspects I did like was the representation of this bond between them, and uh, they turned it, they like they were so close, and they turned it into kind of um, a romantic relationship, which. I thought mm. would have been a natural progression um, had they, you know, been able to do that back in the '80s with no pushback. Mm. I mean, there still there yeah. still would have been pushback even if they did it today, probably, but not in the same way. Yeah, I think the, 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 this connection is something that yeah it pays off in the the, the first in the Demon Bear saga, but uh, uh, it's actually interesting and uh, also very convenient in terms of storytelling to say that at some point those characters can connect uh, and it, it would be reused uh, very in a very interesting way. For yeah. sure. So there's not a lot of stuff, I think, in this book that, that places it in a specific era of time, except for like the Michael Jackson references we'll see later on. But check out the computer lab on page 20 here that they're all working at yeah. with their huge, <laughs> like they look like Commodore 64 computers. And none of them know how to really use computers, which like mm. boggles my mind to think that, you know, today my six-year-old knows her way around an iPad better than adults do, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's true. And uh, there's no mouse. Right, yeah. You're right. <laughs> just typing lines of codes probably, yep. but uh, no mouse. And uh, yeah, it looks like... A... A very strange experience. Yeah, it's very funny. But I mean, that was how it was back in back in the mid '80s. Very cool. Okay, let's go on to issue number fourteen. This one's called "Do You Believe in Magic?" Referencing that uh, popular song from way back when. I don't even remember mm. who who did that song. 
Um, so in this issue, Sim attacks the mansion uh, in order to dis- to try and destroy Ileana, uh, but the team manages to drive him back, which is which is cool to see them come together, uh, especially for Ileana, whom I don't know if they really trust her at this point. One thing that I would love to do that we should have done, I w- because when we did when we recorded the first episode. I put us on a two-hour time limit, and so we really, really rushed through that mini-series, and I mm. think I would have liked to spend a little bit more time on that, talking about that and, and unpacking it, because a lot of really important stuff happened there that I think yeah. we kind of glossed over, but uh, mm. that happened, you know, if you're reading these collections in order, it's basically two issues ago, and so we're revisiting all of that stuff, opening up those old wounds quite quickly after after that mini-series here. But we find out um, a lot of Ileana's secrets, uh, or the team finds out some of her secrets at least. And uh, what's the other plot line here? Oh, it's Stevie finds out, actually. She gets really involved Hmm. and is there for some pivotal moments where she finds out about Ileana's sort of uh, demonic side. I think it's really uh, a recap and a sequel for Magic the miniseries here. Uh, And and I think that Clermont does a very good job in putting that back into the story, but not just be a recap and having a key fight with Sim and also the way Danny's power can work on Sim you know, when, uh, when she's trying to, to see his worst fear right, yeah. uh, and how the, and the chaos that, that follows that and uh, also I think it, it's a very goofy story in a way that it take, the, the whole thing takes place at the center of, of the living room of the, of the mansion so <laughs> the, the, the final page is especially crazy uh, but yeah the, the, that's also the, the fun part of the, of the book I think it's probably important to have this issue here for the sake of the of the regular readers. Uh, miniseries, especially in the, the early 80s or mid-80s or where we are right here, are still a fairly new concept for Marvel. Mm. And so if you have a subscription to this, you're not going to necessarily find the Magic miniseries and comic shops weren't as abundant as they are now. And so... Um, it, it's is it, there's a good chance you didn't actually know at all what was really going on. You only got it from the context of like if you're reading the regular issues, Ileana's young in one issue and then she's old in the next. And mm. how did that happen? What what happened there? So to have an issue like this, I think, is good to bring everybody up to speed. It's kind of nice that this volume also starts out that way because, like in our case, it's been a long time since we read volume one, so <laughs> it's nice to have mm. that refresher. I r- read Magic again not so long ago because uh, I wrote an article about it and I had the, the, the chance to get some insight from Chris Claremont uh, about it. So yeah, it was really fresh when I read the book. And that's why I was saying that it's really a sequel because the the setup that we we get at the end of the miniseries completely here and starts right back, right straight away from what we you could have read if you read the miniseries and and jump on the book. Right. Uh, I love the moment on page 38 where Magic teleports the car and the team to Limbo. Because when she teleports, Mm. she can't just teleport from place to place. They have to travel through Limbo. So they have to make an appearance in Limbo first before they move on to somewhere else. And that moment, like that was one of the moments in the miniseries where it's like all of a sudden the car pops out of nowhere and you see the kids and then they disappear and like, what the heck? And then it pays off Mm. right here in this issue. So that's a fun moment. I like that. Mm. It kind of would be neat if that actually didn't happen until like issue 35. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, Yeah, that. Being the long ball. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) 
that would have been great. But no, it's uh, mm -hmm. pretty much the next next issue. Yeah. Actually, I saw something like that uh, reading recently uh, an, a Hulk epic with what was done in Future Imperfect, the, the miniseries with Peter David and uh, and George Perez. And in the, the regular book, they had, they, there was a one-year difference between the two books. And there was one scene which is repeated exactly the same way between the books. Uh, a bit like this. So, nice. and the payoff was longer than uh, than in the, than in this case. That's very cool. I like that. I think that's great. Mm. At the end of this issue, Xavier, we we find out that Xavier can walk with no real explanation or anything. And mm. I'm like, what? What's going on here? I had to. I, I went back to some issues of X Men to try and figure it out. But do you know why he's walking? I couldn't. Uh, I wasn't sure. Yeah, he's walking because his body was taken over by the Broad Queen during the Broad Saga, and then he was cloned. Oh, it's comic book. Oh sure. yeah, that's right. Uh, and he was cloned, but initially he had a sort of mental block, so he was fully healed, but he couldn't walk ah. uh, initially uh, after with his new body. Uh, and after a while, he recovered and started uh, walking again. So that's the, the big surprise that we, we, we see here. And I remember this issue of the Uncanny X-Men around 180-something where he's playing basketball. Right. And that was yeah. quite surprising for me to see uh, Charles Xavier standing up. But I, And I went back to that issue, and I guess I just maybe just skimmed through it. I didn't see any explanation in there either. Usually we get a little footnote or something, but yeah. no such thing. So no, 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 from here, it says uh, we should go see 180, because at the very, very end of this issue, we uh, we find out that Doug Ramsey's been accepted into the Massachusetts Academy, which is the home of the Hellfire Club's um, Hellions. And Katie's like, uh-oh, he's going to get in big trouble, and I can't tell him that I'm a mutant and or that they're big trouble. So it says go to X-Men number 180 to, to see what happens there. And so that, that issue is not included in the Epic Collection. They give us a little text recap instead, which I kind of think it would have been nice to have the full issue. But then I went mm -hmm. back and read it, and actually nothing of real consequence happens except they just, you know, they're sitting on a train and they see Emma. And by the way, that's the issue where Xavier is playing basketball. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. forgot that, yeah. Actually, I guess it, the thing that does happen in that issue is that we find out that Doug Ramsey is, in fact, a mutant. Yeah, that's the moment when we find out, absolutely. So it is kind of odd that they don't even include, like, some excerpt pages. That would have been okay. Because the issue actually isn't 100% about that story. It's... It's only maybe like five or six pages that it takes up. They could have stuck it in here, I think. In the story, there's a very nice couple of pages, especially when uh, the, the between Kitty and, and Storm, when they discuss uh, Storm's physical change and uh, right. how Kitty is reacting to that. And it's a, it's a beautiful moment, beautiful pages, super well written by, by Claremont. So that makes a very good read. But yeah, that's, they, they could have used just a few pages. Also, it's important to note that 180 is also the moment when uh, the X-Men leave for the, uh, for the Secret Wars. For the Wars. Secret Wars, yeah. Actually, that would be good to include here too because it has direct ramifications to some of the decisions that the New Mutants make uh, yep. throughout these issues. So yeah, yeah, they should have put... Actually, now that I think about it, the whole issue would have been great to see in this collection. Yeah, because sometimes later they will take some decisions by their, on their own. And even when Charles Xavier comes back, they keep on taking some decisions on their own. Also because, well, they've been used to it. 
So if you go and read the the X-Men, I think it's 181, the next issue, they return. Like, they return right away. Yeah. But the next three issues of New Mutants all have to do with the Hellfire Club story, or the Hellion story, uh, or the next two issues, I guess. Is it just two issues? No, it is three issues. No, it's three. So that all takes place in between X-Men 180 and 181 because the X-Men are still gone. They even say, like, I don't know, a period of time passes while they're at the Massachusetts Academy, like a week or something, right? I guess maybe they just aren't aware that X-Men have returned. No, it's never really clear. I don't think it is very clear the the amount of time that the heroes and villains stayed on the on Battle World. Okay. So we we don't know. We know they've been missing for a few days, maybe longer, but it's never really clear how long they they've gone missing. Right. Hmm. So it makes sense that this story, which takes place in a, in a few days, uh, which can be seen as a few days, uh, happens when uh, the X-Men are missing. Yeah, so the timeline's a little a little odd, but uh, and this is a, this is a period where Claremont really was quite heavily tying these two titles together. Mm. So you do have to kind of figure out, uh, you know, the placement of all of these in in, in terms of what the X Men are going through because they'll, they'll they they take off a little while later again. They just keep on going <laughs> into space. Yeah, and stuff. They, they do that a lot. <laughs> So issue 15 called uh, Scaredy Cat. So as I said, well, in my notes, I wrote that uh, we we find out in X-Men that uh, Dog is a, is a mutant and he and Kitty are, are, have been uh, taken hostages or prisoners in the Massachusetts Academy by uh, Emma Frost. So the X-Men are missing. And the idea here is that the, the focus is more on the on what's happening uh, in the Massachusetts Academy and Emma Frost is trying her best to integrate Kitty or indoctrinate Kitty yeah. into the, 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 the Hellions. And um, Ileana's Astra self tries to, to find out what is happening there. So she gets rejected, but she she sort of identifies where she, where she needs to go to try and, uh, and help uh, Kitty. So the, the, the team uh, goes there. And consequences of the fact that Charles Xavier is not there, uh, they, t- they need to take a bus to go and save Kitty, which is a bit... <laughs> silly when you think of it that's my favorite scene right there i, I love that yeah because it's like yeah. the x-men would just hop in their blackbird and avengers would hop in their quinn and yeah. jed and you know it's yeah. like but what are these kids gonna do they don't even have driver's license and there are no adults around i guess the only option is to take the bus <laughs> yeah but they get very creative about oh, yeah. it and uh... and they spend a whole page of them you know throwing out ideas and problem solving and it's uh, it it feels like a natural conversation. I applaud Claremont for taking a kind of a silly premise but delivering it well. Yeah, and they they try they they, they try to to contact the FF and they try to contact the Avengers, but obviously everybody's gone, so they're stuck in a situation in an impossible situation. So they they are quite resourceful, I would uh, I'd say uh, about it. And uh, when they arrive there, they are surprised to see a gigantic version of Emma Frost and Kitty uh, wearing an alien costume. So meaning that uh, there's a big fight coming. Yeah, um, there's a little I, bit of fallout. I agree with, yeah, yeah uh, no, I was I was about to say that I, I completely agree with your comments about characterization uh, because maybe seven or eight pages of the issue 
are just about how they are going to commute from one place to another. Yeah. So, but in the meantime, there's a lot of chatting between them, and uh, once again, uh, we get some some nice scenes uh, between uh, Sam and Danny which are the co-leaders but Sam is the leader de facto because he's the eldest the oldest but he's not very confident yeah. so those insecurity issues they are discussing that and also nice scenes between Sam and Rain so it's really character building but uh, so so it's not an action-packed issue uh, even though we have a few demons that uh, Iliana unleashes uh, by mistake but it's not an action-packed issue it's more of a, a character building issues and I really like those yeah in fact i'd venture to say that the these the all three of these hellion issues are more focused on characterization than they are action we do get some battles and Mm. such later on but uh, a lot of it is for the purpose of character building which is good i mean that should usually be the focus of the action is to further along some character development anyway uh, we do get a little bit of um, fallout from the Marvel team-up annual number six, the team-up mm. with uh, with Spider-Man and Cloak and Dagger, mm. and be- uh, because um, Rain and Bobby are there, they find them in a in a trance because of the the uh, whatever was in their bodies during that the uh, Marvel team-up story. Yeah, the drug. The drug. The drug. Yeah. And so we're gonna that's gonna pay off several issues down the road so we're setting up we're setting up some stuff here you know whenever we're talking about cloak and dagger drugs are always involved (laughs) yes it's it's their thing no i I read the three collections that were released not so long ago and it's all about that most of the time yeah really okay well moving on to new mutants number 16 this one's called away game this in this issue the, the the new mutants they have broken into the mansion and they have to figure out a way to find um, or to the Massachusetts Academy and they have to find a way to save Kitty and so a lot of this issue is sneaking around and coming up with plans and they kind of uh, they partner up and so we get some good character development from different uh, different people who don't normally talk to each other so this is mm. this is a common way to to have some character development is split up your team so they're all you know they all have different missions but then pair them up with characters they don't normally pair with so that you get some good conversations so we get a direct cannonball and magma uh, conversation mm. and uh, we get Danny and Ileana talking together and they're, they're going to have a great moment later on because uh you know they, they are the two that kind of have to rescue the team in the next issue and then mm. um, sunspot and rain get paired up together which you don't get to see them kind of hang out very much but it all comes to a head at the end when the actual hellions show up and they have like a a little they have a well not really a little they have a big fight mm. there's a lot of action in this issue yeah i mean a lot of it mm. and a lot of it though is again just to it's to demonstrate their powers demonstrate how they use their powers and demonstrate how they work together or don't work together as a team because these are all still novices and uh, and then they're paired up against another team of novices the hellions who are you know just learning themselves and i can't remember have we we saw the hellions or ha- is this their is this the first time we meet the hellions like in comics in general or have they been um, in X-Men same, before? Yeah, they may have been in X-Men before, but I don't think they've been in the in the previous collection. So I would say it's their first time there. Yeah, it's the first time they're meeting the New Mutants for sure. Mm. I think this issue was kind of just a stepping stone between the, the this one and the next one. Uh, there's not yeah. a whole lot of progression except for the fact that they just get in 
the mansion, but they get they kind of get blocked. I, I think that back in the days when you when you look at the characterization of Emma Frost, I mean she's always been a strange character and uh, and, and a strange person in general. But here she's really uh, manipulative and uh, totally evil person. Right. And uh, once again, I read those issues as a kid when I was a teenager when I read that, and I really had <laughs> I really hated her, and I definitely remember that. But she was representing something very evil for me uh, back then, and uh, really, she she appears like a, a very manipulative person. You know, when what she does to uh, to 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 Cannonball and to Magma uh, in those two pages, you know, uh, it's very mm-hmm. it's very mean. And uh, the, yeah. the rest of that we will see later on. That uh, doesn't stop there. Completely unrelated, the art of the issue. Uh, we have a couple of inkers there. Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, Tom Mandrake and Kim de Mulder, and uh, well, the look and feel of the book changes dramatically page after page. So I don't know how the inking was done and how the page were uh, were given. Uh, so whenever we have a couple of inkers, it means tight deadlines in general. Uh, but uh, the, the look and feel of the, depending on who's inking, changes a lot. Yeah, I think generally speaking, it looks like Kim did the last half of the book. Yeah. Because mm. they that definitely is a different style, especially the last few pages, quite going mm. in quite a different direction. And you can actually see a lot more Sal Buscema <laughs> coming out yeah. in those yeah, last exactly. few because uh, cause he yeah. doesn't, because Kim doesn't follow as, as closely. Or, or, or he follows more closely to mm. to uh, Busema's style than Mandrake does. Yeah, but maybe page five. Is it five? Uh, the the one of the pages with the discussion between Kitty and Emma. Yeah. Well. Don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It's the page layout, and that the, the doesn't look very Sam Busema to me, uh, especially the, the the first and the and the final panel of the page with the the, the very close up, uh, close focus on the, on Emma Frost doesn't look very Sam Busema to me. But well, who knows? Right, yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, there is one moment on page seventy-nine of this collection when um, the two guards are captured, and Danny gets them to talk by showing them uh, their worst fear, like projecting that mm. in front of them. And their worst fear is the White Queen, just a kind of a de- demonic yeah. form of the White Queen. Yeah. Um, but they make the comment. Uh, they say, "You kids may call yourselves heroes, but you're as cruel as the Queen herself." And I think that is a this is a turning point for Danny, who realizes kind of the responsibility of using mm. her powers and not using it to, to torture or torment, which is what she did just in that moment there. So um, that uh, yeah. she, the way she approaches things from now on is different, and that's going to play yeah. out especially later on as she becomes a, a way different character and gets tied to the Valkyries and such. Yes. Now, issue 17 called Getaway, the, the new mutants versus the aliens. So it's clearly the continuation of the very action-packed previous issue. Uh, so most of the team has been captured, save for Indiana and Danny, which are uh, which have escaped in, uh, in in limbo. So we find something new about Indiana's powers is that she's traveling through space, going through limbo each time, yeah. uh, but also through time. So when they teleport back in time, one year has passed, and uh, when they arrive, they see that the, the aliens and uh, and the new mutants have become very good friends. And that the two teams have merged uh, somehow, so they have to travel back uh, in through limbo and in time also to go back and uh, and try to liberate the new mutants. Uh, 
Um, so they get there, and, and in fact, uh, the issue concludes with a, a challenge or a fight between uh, Jetstream and, uh, and Cannonball for the for the freedom or not of the new mutants. And uh, towards the end, when the, the, the aliens are defeated and uh, Sebastian Shaw and Emma Frost come back to, uh, to a sort of chaotic uh, ending from which the, the new mutants uh, manage to escape. There's a lot of stuff happening in this issue. <laughs> there is. I don't know. I don't think that I was really a fan of these three issues in general. I didn't find them to be totally captivating or anything. And I, I made this comment earlier when we were reading the when we were talking about the listener comments. Um, I felt like they were kind of just spinning wheels. A lot of these characters are having the same conversations over and over mm. again. And I thought the mm. things need to be refreshed a little. I do appreciate the 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 forward momentum with characters like Ilyana, who were discovering a new aspect of her power and such. Um, I find though throughout this book that, or at least the issues that we're reading here, it's like whenever they're in a tight jam and they just need something to happen for the sake of the plot, they're like, oh, let's just give Ileana new power. You know, mm -hmm. all of a sudden she can create force fields around the hospital or whatever. And yeah, yeah, yeah. this is another one of those things, so, like the time traveling aspect. Yeah, plot device, because two issues before, they went through limbo. So they went back in time in limbo, but not in the real time. Oh, that's right. I guess she, she did it unintentionally. Yeah. So there is no, her powers didn't work like that before. So yeah, she's a very convenient plot device. No, I mean, um, when she teleported the car and the students, hmm? she teleported them yeah. and they saw the young Ileana. So they went back in time for a brief second. Yeah. 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 And I but didn't... not when they came back. But not when they came back. They just used it for a geographical move uh, and right. it was not a move in time. Yeah. I think that what is interesting for me in this issue is the relationship between the Hillians, because it's not a very healthy relationship, because there are some very um, bad characters there, especially Empath, which is quite a jerk. And also, we we, we don't, I, I like the word frenemies that was used by one in one of the comments, because we don't really know if those guys are going to be opponents or if they could turn into into friends or maybe members of the new mutants like the the character Katsai we we see at the end that she could almost be a sort of other kind of rain character so i i really like the characterization of the aliens there yeah they're definitely used as counterpoints to all mm. of these characters and uh, with Cat's Eye in particular, we can see basically she's kind of a more confident Rain. Uh, mm. If Rain had a, had more of her own confidence and um, control over her abilities or what's, whatever, then she could be, potentially be Cat's Eye. But uh, yeah, I mean, all of these characters are also under the influence of the White Queen and under her teaching. So yeah, they're all going to come off more snobby and more evil. <laughs> mm. And where is uh, where is Douglas through all of this? We they 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 save the team. Kitty Kitty's with them in the end. They go back to the mansion. But what happens to Douglas? Where is he? That's a very good question because I don't think we see him. At we all. don't, <laughs> and we don't see him again until mm. issue twenty one. So and they just wake him. And in that issue, they just wake him up at home. And he was in bed. <laughs> like, yeah. where is he? Oh yeah, that's funny. I didn't. Uh, yeah. And I don't know. Maybe because he's so tight to Kitty, maybe it's uh, something that happens in the pages of Uncanny X Men. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go back and read no. those issues. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Nice moments also uh, between the, the uh, couple of pages, uh, between the, the New Mutants and Kitty, uh, going towards more of a more acceptance between them uh, and a better relationship than, than before. Yeah, and this is where she kind of steps back out of the pages of, of New Mutants and goes back to X-Men. So we're not going to mm. see her uh, for a while now. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, as they come back, yeah, uh, just to make the connection between the, the, the upcoming issue, uh, we see the, the, the ghost or the, 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 the figure of the, of the demon bear uh, appearing in the last page. And uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> the look and feel of the of that creature is going to change dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next so issue. this is a perfect example of, you know, this is how Sal Buscema and yeah. I think I think this page is inked by Tom Mandrake. Uh, how they portray mm. <laughs> the bear. It's not nearly as menacing as you know. You flip yeah. one page in this collection and you have a a stunning cover with the with Danny with these massive teeth over over her head and then you know the splash mm. page at the beginning of this issue with the bear on the bedspread is just yeah. unreal it looks so good so this is issue number 18 oh one thing i wanted to mention about 17 is the corner box yeah. on the cover because mm -hmm. through all these issues we've had the corner box which is just the heads of all of the characters which is typical of marvel of this time but in this in the in the corner box on issue 17 they're all ducking out of the way of cannonball who's flying through the, the cover i thought that was kind of fun mm. i like it when they play with the corner boxes like that yeah 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 nice stuff yeah okay so the coming of bill sinkevich to this title is a big deal because they they pump it up at the end of the last issue in the in the next issue blurb they say bill sinkevich's mm. first issue so they don't often, you know, announce a new artist coming on or make a big deal about it. Um, but here it is. We have a new creative uh, art, art team, that is, with Bill Sienkiewicz doing the inks as well. So he's fully mm. doing all of the, the visual um, art and then with colors by Glynis Ween. And you mentioned the colorist specifically before and uh, this colorist is is the same person who has colored yeah. these previous issues but attacks it in, in such a different way because the artwork is so different uh, and it's it's quite brilliant I think oh yeah I think we, we see it even more in issue 19 I think in 20 uh, but yeah the, the the colors are completely different and when you look you, you compare one page to another i mean you flip three pages and suddenly the book doesn't look the same anymore yeah. and sometimes you feel like the, the colorist can be different but that's really not the case those guy really and girls those people really uh, bring something different on the table because of the way they, they color the book. Yeah. I remember that on uh, on Iron Man in the 80s, the, the, the colorist was always the same person. When the book was shiny and all uh, and, uh, positive, when Bob Layton and David McLean were writing the book, all the colors were sparkling and, uh, and bright. And when Dennis Onion came on board, uh, the colorist was the same, but the, the, the colors were more uh, dirty, blurred. Uh, and it's the same person doing this, the, the two different jobs. And here it's exactly the same. And uh, I think we don't see that. Uh, we don't recognize enough the work that is done by colorists. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so there's a lot happening in this issue. The main bulk mm. of the story is Danny uh, facing her fears and taking on this bear all by herself and uh, not doing too well at that. She gets critically injured mm. by the end of this issue. Uh, but then there are also a few subplots that start off here. There's a um, We get the first glimpse of a new alien creature 
who mm-hmm. is uh, seems to be under attack by his father, and so flees, and um, and flees whatever planet he's on, and you know who knows where he's going to go. I can probably guess. And then we have another story which actually opens this issue with a woman who, well, first of all, we see the ex, the Xavier's mansion explode, and then mm. then we're, we find out kind of it's a flashback or something, Xavier dies, and then this woman comes to the mansion to try and look for Xavier, but then he's not there, so she leaves, and that's all we kind of get. And so the comments from a couple of different people that we had today were, you know, I started this a few pages in, I couldn't figure it out, so I, I quit. And I think that starting this issue off with this weird, you know, glimpse glimpse of the future, mm-hmm. I actually did have to read this a couple of times to figure out what was going on, uh, to figure out like the dialogue. It's you only really figure out that it is um, the future when the woman at the door, I guess a little bit later on in this issue, uh, looks at Ilyana as a teenager and says, but this is this character is um, way older than when Xavier died in my time or something like that in the future. Mm. And so you you figure out that this is someone from a different reality. Now, uh, they never say her name. And yeah. because she has short red hair, I yeah. thought she was Rain Sinclair. Rain, yeah, for sure. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it took me a while as well to, to say, okay, uh, who's that? Okay, uh, and because I read the first few pages again, I found out and I understood what has happened because that's, uh, I, I remember very well that it's the time when Rachel uh, arrived also on X-Men. Right. But uh, yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah, it's not um, clear. And so yeah. I can understand completely. And then, you, and to top it all off, we have some unconventional layouts as well. So, you know, we have, if you look at the very first, second, the second and third page where the mansion's exploding, um, mm. there's some boxes, like the, the explosion, the mansion explosion is in, it's, it's in a panel, but then it's like mm. behind another panel. Yeah. And, but then the panel, like they're overlapping panels. And then you go onto the next page and there's tilted panels that are different colors. And, you know, how do you read all of this? And it, it's very, very experimental and such a contrast from the last issue that, yeah, what what's going on? Not too sure. And I can see being confused, and especially as a child, being like, I have no idea. I can't read this. But you get past that and you get to the training sequence with the kids. And then I think that's a lot more straightforward. Uh, we get mm. uh, a good chance for us to see how Bill Sienkiewicz is rendering all of these characters that we've already we already know so we get to see their certain power sets and he uses this a lot of the same visual language like the black spots around sunspot mm. and um, you know magma magma's look as she turns into her into her molten state and such so uh, all of them have very iconic hairstyles as well so that we can mm. you know it's obvious who these characters are even through Bill Sienkiewicz's, um you know abstract art but uh, what I love about this is this last, the last sequence as Danny takes on the bear herself. Mm. And you go to page 136 in this collection when she tr- she trundles outside and she yells to the bear and you see the bear manifest mm. in the sky and is roaring. And then you mm. have the eyes in the, these yeah, two in eyes the in the snow below. It's like, why, why is he depicting it like this? What do the eyes mean? Or th- those are Danny's eyes, and are, is this supposed to be worth like seeing through her eyes, or like that's a, mm. or it's like a second panel where it should be in its own panel, and it's like her eyes are widening because she's surprised at what she sees because we turn the page and then there's this massive, massive bear right there mm. uh, in front of her. 
but it's just a it's an interesting way to convey that and i love that splash page with the bear and in fact yeah bill's yeah. bill's rendering of this bear throughout this entire thing is this basically a massive blob of black of negative space mm. kind of representing the uh you know the the looming shadow that's been over her life this entire time uh, that's hanging over her. Uh, I think it's a great, a great drawing, and he he's very consistent in the way that he draws. And this bear gets more and more abstract as we get through these three issues, um, and then the next few pages, they the dialogue becomes more and more sparse. So you turn the page, and we have the, mm. the first attack, where the bear slashes at Danny. There's a little bit of dialogue, a little bit of narration. I mean, then the next page, there's only one panel that has narration in it, mm. and then the next page has nothing until mm. the battle is over. And this is Claremont, who loves to put in narration everywhere, but he's letting no. the art speak for itself, which is something that Claremont usually doesn't do. So that, I think, speaks very, very highly to what he thought of Bill Sienkiewicz's art. Yeah, we don't, and we would have, uh, you know, thought balloons, you know, in a classic Claremont uh, storytelling. Oh, totally. And, and we get something completely different there. Yeah. Thought balloons were used before, you know, when she, when Danny is in the in the danger room and and, uh, and so on, or when Rachel appears, we have thought balloons. So it's definitely a choice to get rid of that, so that you know, like when you you are in in the fight, you completely black out and you so focused that you don't think really. Uh, and you're purely on instinct, and I think it it ties with that uh, here. Uh, and those are amazing pages. Uh, I think one of the things that I really enjoy throughout this issue is the visual expressions, yeah. the, the faces of the characters. Because, of course, we have the panel layouts and we have the crazy stuff and the, the more mature storytelling. But I think that the, the, the faces of the characters are super expressive, extremely beautiful also, uh, with some ties of art of John Bolton uh, that we could have seen uh, in the classic X-Men backup. So something very different from uh, uh, even from what we saw in Bill Sienkiewicz's previous work. I, I think it's an evolution compared to what he did in Moon Knight uh, or in FF. I think so, yeah. I don't know how much time there is between the end of Moon Knight and the beginning of New Mutants. Because I haven't been able to find the dates, uh, but um, th there's a clear evolution in, in his work, in my opinion. Well, for sure. I think everything that he was doing in 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 Moon Knight was building to this point, and he was for mm. sure. Uh, there's not. I don't believe there's much time at all uh, in between those two issues. I think he kind of just jumped from one project to the next. But uh, okay. uh, no, no, sorry, that's not true. He was he ended his time on Moon Knight, and then he just did like covers and stuff for a little while. Uh, okay. And then because at the back of this book there is a little there's a little note from Bill. Uh, Bill says, I had been away from regular comics too long. I had done a few fill-ins here and there, but I was aching to get back to a regular book. My name had been out of mainstream comics for too long, and I didn't want to be forgotten. Chris Claremont first approached me to do two issues of The New Mutants, and soon after that, he asked me if I'd like to do the book on a regular basis. I thought about it for about 30 seconds and said yes. I thought it would be interesting and fun. Yeah, interesting and fun is a... <laughs> yeah. It's a nice way to present it. But then the next thing that happened with the team, the fundamental breakout moment, was Bilson, Kevich, and I sat down to do a three-part, the three-part Demon Bear saga, and had so much fun that he decided to stick around for a year. <laughs> and that was where the book just... 
no in the same sense that everyone talks about how good as the X-Men was. It was my synergy with John and John Byrne and Terry Austin and later Paul Smith that broke it out of the mainstream. Bill did the same thing with New Mutants. That yeah. Nothing like that had ever been seen before. Nothing like it has been seen since, really. Yeah, it is just and incredible. We had more fun than is probably legal. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about about um, joining with Bill on this story? Well, we were just bullshitting one afternoon, and uh, I pitched an idea, and he liked it, the Demon Bear, and so we did it. And I think Ann, what Ann and I were thinking of was we do this story at, and at the same time look for a more contemporary, kid-friendly penciler. The challenge with Sal's work was that he, it looked like everything else, yeah. and I didn't want that. Uh, you know, I wanted this to be very much a kid-centric book. That, that there, there needed to be a totally different visual sense to the characters and to the moment. Well, you certainly went in the opposite direction. Then. <laughs> that was the key with Bill. He yeah. totally understood and embraced the idea of, that they were kids. But it is interesting but that he, uh, one of the reasons that he, I think that he left Moon Knight was just because the his art was becoming so different. It was taking a long time to do and he just couldn't keep up with his deadlines. But then he wants to jump back into doing a monthly book. Like that's a, it's a big commitment. And he mm -hmm. seems to do it well. Especially if he's inking his work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely, it definitely takes a lot, a lot of work, a lot of time. I love this final splash page in this issue where it's, you know, the, the kids, they find Danny in the snow mm. and there's this huge black tree above and there's a lot of white negative space below. It's just a mm. well-balanced page with the black on the top and the white on the bottom. And it reminds me of there's one Moon Knight page that he did with the death of a of a character very similar to this in the snow and uh, it's the final splash page and he sets it up in a very similar way. And uh, and once again the way the colors are played the the white used as the as a negative space is going to be will appear again so that's uh, that's a very nice way to use it and I really think that the the red the way the red is leading the storytelling of the page. Yeah. Because you would be tempted to, to focus on the tree, which is at the top, and then suddenly the, the red of uh, Sam's shirt, Rain's hair, leads to, to Danny. Uh, it's a very yep. straightforward thing. But there's also other visual cues to that as well. It's like the snow, yeah, the, yeah, the, the snow the, that's flying yeah. through the air is pointing us there. All of the footprints yeah. in the snow yeah. lead us right to exactly what we need to focus on. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's really a great page. Okay, well, let's keep on going over to number 19. Yeah, so issue 19 called Siege. Um, so Danny is rushed to the ER room where the medics are going to try to fix uh, her injuries after the battle with the with the demon bear, uh, including what appears to be a broken back. Um, so the team is gathered in the waiting room and uh, meets with, uh, with a couple of people. So Sharon, uh, a nurse, uh, and Tom Corsi, uh, a police officer. And as they are all gathered here, the bear attacks the, the hospital and uh, eventually abducts uh, the, the new mutants, the nurse, and the officer into his world, realm, whatever. It, it's a very 
very quick-paced way to, to, to explain this story. But there's a lot going on there because there are quite a lot of fights between the, 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 the mutants, the new mutants and the, and the bear. There are a lot of pages of that. There is some nice characterization here also. Meanwhile, Claremont also continues his subplot with Warlock including the, the the star jammers which are really cool so it's a nice couple of pages and what i think was my main interest in the, the in this issue are the first few pages uh because well we were talking about the, the colors and the red is central in these pages and whenever we get into the the, the surgery room we get into the, the this red coloring uh, whenever we are in the waiting room we have this orange coloring appearing uh, and a lot of white used as a uh, negative space so that that gives a, a visual an astonishing visual as in my, in my opinion yeah and it's used a, a very specifically too because red puts you in an alarmed state so, mm-hmm. you, you know, your tensions are higher and such. And so when we're in the operating room and uh, that's the fact that it's all red gives us a different feel and orange is a more neutral color. And so mm-hmm. in the waiting room, we are more a little bit more at ease because the tensions aren't as mm-hmm. high as the operating room. So that's kind of a, yeah, I like that. That's a nice, nice visual cue. Yeah, I, I like the way the, the white of the nurse suit is used. Sometimes mm-hmm. her, her figure is just laid out and not, not fully inked, it looks. Yeah. Especially on page four of the issue uh, when she arrives. Uh, so there's quite a lot of, uh, of visual nice things there. And then when the bear comes and you get that one shot in the hallway where it's, you just mm. see the claws and uh, yeah. it's all black and the little muzzle at the top there. It's like, wow, it's just, uh, it's just suggestions. And that's mm. a lot of Bill's work is he suggests what, what things are, you know, where the buildings are, or what, how, what the layout is through his artwork. And it's just, uh, it, it's very, very effective. One of the things we, we have uh, in this issue, and you mentioned that earlier, is that we have the Ileana starts displaying new powers. So whenever she's injured, a sort of armor starts to appear. So it's, uh, it's something new, which will come to play further and further. And uh, even if we jump to, to Inferno, we remember the look and feel of Ileana with her full armor. Yeah. Then, so it's the beginning of what we will see then. Also, uh, I really enjoyed, the, the once again, the faces of the characters and the fact that we have Alfred Hitchcock uh, popping up. <laughs> right. And I think it's the, the guy next to to Alfred Hitchcock looks a lot like uh, that TV shows from the, the, the 60s called Ben Casey. Oh, okay. That was drawn uh, in the comics by Neil Adams. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a sort of connection between that. That's so funny. Um, yeah, could be. So lots of great visual expressions. Two pages after the, the Hitchcock appearance, we see Iliana and Roberto together. And the way that in the last panel, uh, Iliana faces distorted and biting her bottom lip because she's worried about what's happening. That's very expressive. And uh, mm-hmm. well, there's not so much happening in actually when you when you think of it in this issue but the way it's rendered is smashing well i mean there's still yeah there, there's a lot of waiting because they're waiting for the operation to uh, to finish all the surgery and stuff but like they do a really good job of keeping the tension uh, the mm. tension is high throughout this entire entire issue uh, while not only are they um trying to operate but then rain's making contact with danny yeah. and uh, and that's you know not healthy for Danny with what she's going through right now. And so the, there's just 
I don't know, they, I think that um, the pacing is really, really well done here. And we get to these final couple of pages mm. where the bear makes his full appearance again. And it's just this huge black blob. The eyes are like crazy spirals mm. and just kind of wild. And yeah, you, I, they're, they're teleported to somewhere in the daylight. It looks mm. like a desert. And then, yeah, we have the contrast again between the, the massive black shape of the bear with the mm. the white that's used as kind of a void. It's the desert. And they mm. so it's like there's, there's nothing around them. They can now have this uninterrupted battle. And that leads us into the next issue here, number 20, called Badlands and the opening double page spread. And I, I think I mentioned earlier the that bear becomes more and more abstract as we go along. Yeah. So now we have this bear, and it's even like he's angular in the way he bends now, mm. or the way it bends now. But great, I mean, look at this background here: the the, the clouds and the mountains and the trees are just squiggles and he puts just enough lines to indicate that they're like in a tall grass field mm. even though most of it is just a solid block of yellow it's yeah. it's just all of this uh, great hinting at what it's supposed to be suggestions of the of the landscape but you can tell entirely what it is uh, on this page i wonder if everything which is written because well we'll get into the the, the aspect of the plots but the way the title is written and the way that you know the map is presented uh and the explanation of uh what the map stands for uh and the way stanley is written i wonder if it's tom orzekowski's work or if it's bill sinkiewicz uh i yeah. really wonder because it would be it could be sinkiewicz uh, part of his work included in, in the page i kind of think it is um because i think he's yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know. I'd have to go read something, some of his own original works where he does everything to see mm. what his own lettering looks like. But I would think so. I mean, he is also doing this, that the, the map in the top corner. Mm. And it seems like he has a pretty good idea of how he wants everything laid out here. Did you notice that um, this map has, on the outside, it has the alphabet to indicate the different mm. squares, the different regions on yeah. the map. And it goes up to mm. X. And then Y and Z yeah. is included at the bottom of the uh, uh, the credits box. <laughs> I don't know why he decided to put put them down there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. But he did. Yeah, this is this oh, is a that's great funny. page. This is good. Yeah, this is really good. <laughs> Question about yeah. the the location. I was wondering mm -hmm. if it's a different dimension or a different time. Because when you read the top box that says the bear owns domain, a virgin America untouched by the white invaders from across the sea, yeah. a pure unspoiled land with uh, rich with power, uh, it's implied that it's a different reality, but it could be the past. It could, and yeah. And it could tie with the fact that there is a Native American connection there. Well, I think that's definitely intentional. They, they since mm. we're dealing with an aboriginal story that they're taking us to you know the historical um ancestral land i think that's very mm. i think that's very intentional um whether it's a manifestation of that or traveling back in time it, it's unknown but it's also kind of irrelevant to no. to the story um, but i think it's probably back in time at least enough that mm. um you know they all of these um, spirits or whatever that 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 are attacking them are, you know, they're dressed in the traditional garb and stuff. Yeah, because it's it's there's a bit of contradiction here because you know that this Virgin America thing, and then Iliana says that 
my sorcerer's powers are limited back home, uh, but this seems to be a mostly magical realm. Ah, okay. So, yeah. so you could imagine that it's the past, or maybe that the past was more of a magical place than the, the, the present can be. You don't really know, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to have this uh, um, unknown situation there. I liked it. Yeah, oh, totally. Uh, we have a lot of red in this issue again. In fact, the bear mm. is colored kind of a red, a red brown now to heighten mm. that aspect of it as well. And there's one page on page 172. The bear swipes at the the orb that that Ilyana is protecting, and so mm. the the operating room is still red. But then the once the the mm. once the claw tears away some of it, we can see the color on the other side. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Mm. But yeah, this this one is just a one big long you know attempt to try and stop the bear from damaging the hospital like that's really all it is and it's a uh, it's exciting and throughout all of this like we're seeing every one of these characters die one by one but it's not you know it's i i don't know if this is supposed to be all in their minds or what they're not actually they're not actually being hurt and they and they guess they there's a healing property wherever they are as well as long as they're in the light they seem to heal mm. and you have this double splash page with the uh, the clouds and the the the, the glimpses of light yes yeah, it looks really good. Peering, which is which is incredible. Once again, yeah, and uh, you know, having a digital edition for that is really good because you can can really much uh, much more enjoy the double uh, the, the double splash page. You don't have the gutter loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and if you can imagine, like doing this kind of a page today, trying to get across um, just a shining beam of light, it's easy to to you know put on a computer effect to give it a glow and whatever, but. Um, Bill uses, like, I think he's he's probably using white mm. to convey uh, a lot of the, like, he's painting painting white stripes on black in order to show, you know, the, the shimmering of the light against the dark clouds. Yeah, um, yeah very effective. It looks great. Yeah, I was wondering if he, if there was an inker involved, but, you know, he's still doing the, the, the full work there. Yep, he's doing everything. So just, just yeah, just those two, those two pages must have, well, those, all those pages with all the lines he adds, I think that maybe he must have had some time to, you know, work before the beginning of the book because doing that on a monthly basis is a... Is an impossible task. Yeah. Well, who knows? He might have had help as well that he hired, and they're just not credited. Mm. Because that's, you know, a lot of pencilers or a lot of inkers would have, you know, a, a, a yeah. studio or a team they work with. So mm. if I ever get to talk with him about this, I can ask him that and see. But I also mm. love the the one splash page where the bear is finally defeated. The sword cuts in half and is this, mm. is a, it's a, it just kind of shatters and uh, it splits down the middle. And the bear is no longer red or brown. It turns blue. It turns a passive, mm. passive color. And uh, mm. yeah, it looks really, really great. And we see a couple of figures um, appear, and it turns out Danny's parents were, were being held captive by this, this spirit bear. Mm. This is the moment when the, the books, the story becomes a bit hard to understand, because it's really unclear why those two were trapped into the bear's body, or how they were into the bear's body. Uh, how they were the bear. Then we have the fact that the the, the police officer and the, uh, and the nurse come back as Native Americans. Yeah. So that's a bit confusing. And I think that the the comeback of the X Men and the uh, the healer thing is a bit too convenient uh, <laughs> compared to how mature the rest of of the, the story was. I think that this moment there is very comic booky. Yeah. You know, compared to what we saw before. 
Yeah, I would have loved to see since they made such a big deal about how how injured she was. It would have been great、mm. to have her on the road to recovery for a while instead of like magically fixed. I mean, we get one issue. The next issue, she's definitely you know in a wheelchair and still recovering and such. But they quickly、mm. forget about that after that. Yeah, there's a thing. There's a thing still in the in the annual、uh, where she's in a recovery session with、uh, with TV.、Uh, but here it's、um, it's very quickly dismissed. Yeah, and yeah, the whole the whole couple of characters, the doctor and the nurse, is, seems pretty problematic, especially today. I don't know why,、mm. especially because there's no explanation given. Like it's it's hard to understand. Why that decision was made? Yeah, because somehow they they connected with the the the, the location and、uh, you know because they were turned into demons, so what they were like I don't know transformed or something. But、um, it's well, I don't think there's a big payoff there. Yeah, unless it comes along down the road where we haven't read it.、Um, mm. But yeah. yeah, as far as this issue is concerned, it's just way out of left field. Seems very awkward and、mm. a little insensitive. In, in fact, fun fact: it took years to see this. Issue published in France. Oh, really? Why is that?、Uh, because we we had a we had a lot of censorship in France back then. Born Again, Daredevil, Born Again was never finished、uh, in its first in the magazine that was reprinting Daredevil at the time, and the New Mutants suffered the same problem because it was visually too violent. Right.、Uh, so the, the the French editor didn't know what to do with the book really because there were you no know, when there were a few violent panels. Sometimes they would cut a bit of the page or change. The drawing of the page, so that that was what we had in the in the 60s, the 70s, and even the 80s. But when it came to those issues, they didn't know what to do, so they stopped publishing them. Were they publishing these stories at the same time, like maybe like the month later after they appeared in、uh, in America?、Uh, no, they they were printing them like it, it really depended. But、uh, best case was a year after, maybe a、oh. year and a half. So they could have they, seen they could it have, coming. Yeah, exactly. It's like why even start the story if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna come across that problem. They should have been. Obviously, they weren't paying attention. Yeah, because they were, you know, focusing on the on the previous, you know,、uh, monthlies. So、yeah. maybe they didn't have the time to to see that. And also, we had a, back then. I mean, it sounds like we were living in USSR then, but. We had a censorship committee in France. Oh yeah. This committee was giving advice and saying, okay, this is too violent.、Uh, before the, the 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 book was printed, so that may have been one of those cases. I can and see. And once、yeah. again, it's Moon Knight was not really、uh, that much published in France. So I guess that the more visual issues towards the end of Sinclair's and Dogman's runs were not printed in French. I'm not sure, but I'm almost sure of that. It was unprecedented to see art like this、right. in a comic book at the time. So the reaction must have been very strong. So it took years to to see it printed again. So it has a, a very big status here、uh, because of that. Wow! For all guys like me. <laughs> <laughs> And I, going back to the comment about、uh, if someone else had drawn these issues, would it be nearly as menacing? <laughs>、yeah. Like if Salby Sema、mm. had gone through these, would France have? Still censored it, probably not. No, but the story would have been different because I don't think that the the writer plays with the same strengths. For sure. Depending on who's writing. Yeah. Especially if they're working Marvel style, the, it wouldn't have been the same the same stuff. Yeah. As, once again, if it's Marvel style and that Claremont is giving. Well, a plot, and then the artist does whatever he wants, and then the dialogue comes in. 
then for sure, Sal Busema would never have done that. But the story would have been different. Yeah. Wow. That would have been something to see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last issue. Um, Let's talk about the last issue here. Yeah, last issue, issue 21, called Slumber Party. It's one of those issues that takes place after a big event has taken place. So we get into a more quiet setup with more of a characterization issue. And uh, here, the, 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 the story goes that the, the girls uh, throw a party with the with some girls from the area that we had seen in previous issues uh, when they went to the mall, for instance, and stuff like that. The, meanwhile, the boys are having a very quiet moment and they, they have a, a bonding uh, moment, which is which is very nice. And Warlock literally crashes and arrives in the mansion. And we, we get all this moment when he's discovering, Warlock is discovering the location. And when the, the new mutants are connecting with him and uh, discovering uh, that he's a sort of mutant too, and they finally uh, integrate him in the team with the support of Doug Ramsey, who discovers that well, they are the, they are mutants too, and these are the powers they have. So it's not a quiet issue because the warlock aspect is uh, is very visual and uh, uh, but it's a very different setup than the, what we had before. I'm kind of kind of feel that I'm not sure we needed a double sized issue for that. Uh, and maybe I would have preferred to have a, a regular 20 pages uh, issue that would have gone a bit faster than than this one. But it's once again nice looking issue uh, with uh, with some great visual expressions and uh, and some fun parts as well, uh, which is a different vibe uh, being played by uh, by Sinkivix and Claremont there. Okay, so I'm going to disagree with you there. I think oh, okay. that this actually really... <laughs> I knew it. I, I really think this benefited from having extra pages. I thought that mm. the um, being able to take the time with Warlock exploring the world, because, you know, they're playing up the whole fish-out-of-water angle here, mm. um, for us to, to, to figure out this character... Because we're meeting, we're basically meeting this character for the first time. Uh, we're and we have lots of different concepts that we are being introduced to. In fact, not just the the look and and this character discovering new planet, but the whole techno organic virus. Mm. Everything he touches turns into a machine. Like that is being mm. portrayed here, and it's all being portrayed without the influence of the new mutants. If they had cut this issue mm. in half and and had to squeeze that this whole thing point. in here, yes. then, yeah. then they would have had to explain this. Like, it would have been just like in battle, somebody would have been touched and like, my arm's turning to, to into a machine or something like that, right? And so I think it's, I, I appreciated having it flow a little bit better. Um, what I also liked about this issue was just the fact that uh, during the slumber party, they're trying to figure out how to be, a, be superheroes and have a battle. Mm and conceal their powers while all of these normal people yeah. from town are still around. And um, again, yeah. to, to try and shove that concept along with the introduction of Warlock uh, into the same issue in, in half the number of pages, I think would have been a little bit rushed. They would have had to choose kind of one or the other. Yeah, um, I, it's a strange thing to have a, a double-sized. It's just that it really comes out of nowhere. 
because yeah. it's not an anniversary issue. No. It's not issue twenty-four. It's not. It wasn't the no. climax of the Demon Bear Saga story either. Yeah, so it's uh, it's really strange, and maybe it could have been split into two issues as well. It could have worked. Yeah, it could but, have. But uh, well, maybe the, the the decision was was taken because the the flow of the issue was uh, was working better like that. That could be. I mean, that's something that Bill did in, on Moon Knight as well. It's like. Because I remember one story, he was talking about the issue called Hit It mm-hmm. of Moon Knight. And that was supposed to be just a short backup story that was like six mm-hmm. or eight pages or something. And then Bill turned it into a full length story mm. just when he was drawing it. He's like, here we go. So that could be the case here as well. It's like he was getting into it and then it just turned into a double size issue. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be, but that's how it ended up. I don't know. Mm. That could be. But it is amazing to me that Bill did the whole Demon Bear Saga story by himself. He does. Then he does a double-sized issue by himself. Mm. And then he does mm. more issues by himself. He doesn't skip a beat. There's no fill-in yeah. issues because he's run out of time or has to take a break or whatever. That's a lot of work for one person. Mm, yeah. So maybe he had extra time to get ready before uh, jumping be. on the book. Yeah, that could be. He had, a, um, he had some lead-in time. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah. did you see who in this opening splash page, the slumber party, everyone's doing pillow fight and everything like that. Do you see who is welcoming us to the party? It says, no. hi guys, I'm, I'm Wheezy. Welcome to the party. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, Louise uh, Simonson? Yep, Louise Simonson. Her nickname is Wheezy. And she mm-hmm. was the yeah. editor of this book up until just a couple of issues ago. And Anne mm. Nascenti has taken over as editor now. But, but yeah, Louise Simonson. That's her there, and she's mentioned a couple times throughout this book, so that's kind of fun. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh, it, it looks like a lot of those uh, faces look like real people that uh, uh, Sink has integrated in the book. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So this is something that, yeah, this is something that, uh, that happened previously, you know, when you had writers and uh, uh, artists being, you know, in the background or integrated uh, in, the, in the book. But it definitely looks like that. Well, and who are the caricatures that are on page 197, the, the musicians and such? Because obviously there's Michael Jackson yeah. and Sting. Sting, yeah. And yeah. Bert, Re- or Tom Selleck. Yeah. But I don't know who the and guy is. John Tra- uh, oh, John Travolta, yeah, of course. John Travolta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> and we had we, we had this very strange splash page by Sal Buscema in issue 14 or something. With uh, this Burt Reynolds poster in Ileana's room. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So yeah, it's the eighties <laughs> for sure. Yeah, lots of cultural references, and some people hate yeah. it when they do that. But I think it's great. I I love seeing cultural references in comics because it it's a sign of the times. Yeah, exactly. I love yeah. it when in the old issue of Strange Tales, when Johnny and Ben put on Beatles wigs and try to get into a Beatles mm. concert. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> That's completely the, the the time I remember. That uh, around nineteen ninety something, uh, early nineties, there were quite a lot of references to yep. uh, Twin Peaks, the TV show. Right. Yeah. Uh, in, in Spider Man, I remember that David Michelini was making references. Uh, Peter David in Hulk was making references to that. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a sign of the time for sure. But uh, totally, and same with those computers it, that we we saw in the computer lab. Yeah, exactly. it all works yeah, together. Exactly. And some people hate yeah. it. I mean, sometimes I'll see comments like ah, they just talk about Twitter and Lady Gaga all the time. And it's like, why do they mm. have to date the comics so much? And like, nah, this it's 
it's this has always been the way that these Marvel comics have worked, and I appreciate it because I love the snapshot of the day that it's created in. Yeah, and can you imagine that you're throwing a party like that with just a tape uh, recorder to 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 play the music? Yeah, <laughs> that's the, on the opening splash page. Totally, I love it. Yeah. I like how this issue ends. Uh, I love that Rain makes sort of first contact in a sense, mm. takes the takes the step and the leap of faith to show that they mm. are friends. Uh, I like the progression that they slowly find out who this creature is and why this creature is doing what they're doing. Uh, oh, they bring in Doug. This is, like I said, we haven't seen Doug since mm. he disappeared at, in the Massachusetts Academy. He comes back here to help um, communicate with Warlock. And then in the end, mm. the students, kind of like how they did with Amara at the beginning, they brought um, they brought Warlock to Xavier and said, hey, he, this guy's a good candidate for our school. Can we keep him? And Xavier initially is a little angry, but in the end says, "Yeah, this is probably a good idea." Yeah, and it's about and it's about trust. Yeah, uh, and and once again, it's the, the the students taking decisions because Doug didn't know that there were mutants, so they go to him because they know he's good with languages and that's his mutant power, and it could be helpful in this situation uh so and the same thing with uh, uh when they, they decide to uh, take warlock in the team yeah it's really so great they're making decisions and then they're all growing and what do you think of this last scene where because iliana disappears through a portal halfway through the battle with warlock and she just pops up at the at the end here and she's got like a spacesuit on with a helmet and some sort of weapon and stuff <laughs> like what has she been mm -hmm. up to this whole time yeah, that, that I love it. I hope that uh, I don't know if we get that story at some point, but I hope we do. I forgot. I I I, I can't remember really. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Mm. But I think this is a good place to stop because uh, yeah. the the whole last page, the last splash page, the ending. It doesn't say the end. It says a beginning. So it's this is yeah. we're seeing that this is a turning point for the team. We've come through. A very hard story uh, with the Demon Bear Saga, which you know really amped up the stakes and and played with the the emotions and the psychological um, you know torment of the characters. And now we're going to move forward and see how these characters have changed because of it. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good starting uh, a good stopping point. Yeah. Uh, this issue, this double size issue, also includes a couple of splash pages, some some bonus pinups, one of Cannonball, mm -hmm. one of Magic, and one of Sunspot. And uh, mm -hmm. I love the Cannonball picture because it is not your typical layout, placing Cannonball oh, yeah. in the bottom corner of mm -hmm. of the thing. It's it's not as dramatic of a of a splash page in the sense of the way you normally would think of a superhero pinup, but. The mm. fact that he's like crashing through a helicopter, very cool. Yeah, but in a more traditional splash page, you would see him going through from from the bottom, the, probably from the bottom left yeah. to the top right. Totally. So it's here; it's completely different, and it's uh, even more surprising. It's very surprising, but that's mm. that's Bill for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a great episode. Uh, very cool story. I'm glad we were able to tackle Demon Bear Saga. We had actually been talking talking about doing this episode for a while. I wanted to, to come out oh, yeah. with the movie, but um, you know, the movie kept getting delayed, and then when it eventually did come out, I wasn't ready to do that. But <laughs> now we are, we're here, and next week mm -hmm. we'll be back 
to talk about New Mutants Annual Number 1 and also the remaining issues of this epic collection leading up to issue number 31. A lot of cool stuff in here. We're going to see Cloak and Dagger. We're going to see Leela Chenny. We're going to see Legion. And so uh, there's going to be plenty to talk about. So I'm looking forward to that, yeah. Frank. Yeah, me too. So for all of you listeners out there, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you look up Epic Marvel Podcast. You can also search for Epic Collections on Facebook and find our Epic Collection group, which Frank and I are both admins there. And we just talk about mm-hmm. Epic Collections all day, every day, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's all for us for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Take care.